Today, I hope you have your copy of God's Word, and if you do, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, uh, chapter 2. Uh, you can also open that on your phone if you have an app for that or on a tablet as well, however you want to do that. Just, just turn with me to though the 1 Peter, uh, chapter 2, because after Easter, we started a, a journey through the book of 1 Peter. It was appropriate to do so because of Peter's words in the third verse of chapter 1. And let me remind you what it said there. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, Peter reminded us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ wasn't just an exciting momentary event to celebrate on Easter. But it was an event that changed the course of history, and it changes the course of the lives of those who trust in Jesus. Why? Because the resurrection offers to all who place their faith in Jesus a living hope. A living hope is a hope for eternity. A living hope is a hope for each and every day. It is a hope that sustains us even in the midst of a pandemic or whatever you might be facing. This living hope reminds us that in the end, everything will be okay. As Jesus conquered death, he proclaimed to us that indeed he is the Lord of all, the Lord in whom we should trust, the Lord who is ready to help us live each and every day. Now, last week, Brother Sean began to remind us that this living hope is also a hope that transforms our life. If you have this living hope, then you should live life differently. You live life based upon what Jesus has done for you. Think about it this way. Just two days ago on Friday evening, my son Jacob and daughter-in-law Courtney became parents, all right? In fact, I had to sneak a picture in early today, all right? And here's what is sure. The birth of their daughter was a momentary event, but it's an event that now changes the rest of their lives. Some things will be different for them. The way they view the world will change because now they view it through the eyes of parents with a concern for their child. Their routines and habits will change because they have a daughter now to take care of. Even their dreams will change because they will be less concerned about themselves and more concerned about their daughter. That momentary event of the birth of their child, listen, changed everything, again, about their lives. This changed their lives forever. Similarly, but really in a greater way, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a momentary event that changed everything. And again, for those who place their faith in Jesus and recognize him as Savior, that event changes everything about their lives. Believers obviously gain the assurance of eternal life, which should give them peace in a troubled world, but also their habits, their desires, their view of the world. It all changes when they recognize who Jesus is and place their faith in him. Indeed, the living hope that Jesus brings transforms the lives of a believer. If you are a believer in Jesus, you should understand this transformation. And if you're not a believer, you can experience this through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, as we move into chapter 2 this morning, we will see where Peter continues the theme of a, of a changed life. And he helps us understand what it means to fully experience this living hope. Look at what he writes at the beginning of chapter 2. He says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. With these words, Peter reminds us to experience the fullness of living hope, you must crave a mature salvation. Peter used an interesting phrase when he said, grow up into salvation. 
We shouldn't take this to mean that if you grow enough that eventually you'll be saved. It is more like this. It's more like when you were younger and you were growing so fast that your parents would buy you shoes that were a couple of sizes too big and says, oh, you'll grow into them. You know what Jesus Christ has provided for is something that it is amazing, but in a way it is something that we grow into. Being forgiven from our sin is something that is given to anyone who places his or her faith in Jesus. A person receives salvation when faith is placed in Jesus. It is not something that you can earn by enough good works or by a certain level of achievement. However, just like when a baby takes her first breath and is not mature in living life yet, a Christian is not mature in faith the moment eternal life is received. You must mature in that faith. Peter said you are to long for spiritual milk like a newborn baby. You are to desire what brings spiritual growth in your life. Now, if you've been around a newborn baby at all, you know how they long for pure milk. They will cry until they get it. Then they will intensely drink that milk until their bellies are full. New parents quickly learn that they need to be ready to act when that newborn gets hungry and begins to long for milk. Well, Christians likewise should be persistent in craving spiritual milk. It means there should be a craving for God's word where you discover his truths and his ways. You should crave fellowship with God in prayer where you talk to him and seek his guidance and develop an intimacy with him. You should crave worship where you express your love for God with others and sing his praises and you hear the word of God preached. And as you crave these things and seek maturity, you will grow in the Lord. You will grow up into salvation, and the way you live life changes as you mature. A believer's life should be changing to the point that as time passes, one looks more like Jesus in the way you live. As a believer matures, you should think more like Jesus. One's passions should be more like the passions of Jesus. Your compassion becomes like his. Your ability to forgive like his. Your servant's hearts like his, and much, much more. Therefore, you should be craving for the spiritual milk that helps you grow in this way. Again, grow up into salvation. Now, I know sometimes we seem to be hindered in our growth. And the things that hinders us in our spiritual growth is often that we have filled our lives with the wrong things. We are not hungry and not craving the milk because we are dining on other things. That is why Peter first said, you put away certain things. When Peter says you put away malice, envy, hypocrisy, slander, and I'm sure the list could have went on among other things, it is a recognition that those things do not belong in a Christian's life and that those things can hinder a Christian growth. For example, if you let malice be a part of your life, it's hard to forgive as Jesus wants. When there is malice, you just want to get even with someone who has done you wrong. But if you remove malice, then what you can find is that God can then give you the ability to forgive even when it's hard. Even if forgiving is not what you want to do in the moment, when you remove malice, God is free to move in your heart to where you can eventually forgive as the Lord would desire and really as you desire as a believer in your spirit. Freeing from malice will allow you to feed on the spiritual milk of God that brings your flesh under control of the spirit so that you mature and walk as the Lord desires. The result will be great joy in your life as you live for the Lord. But you need to crave this maturity. Again, as you remove all these impure things in your life, there is more room for the things of God. Now, a big part of determining whether this maturity will happen is if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That was the qualifier that Peter used in verse 3. For a person who has truly tasted God's goodness, there's a desire for more. 
When you have experienced his forgiveness, knowing that you don't deserve it, it sparks a desire to forgive others. When you have experienced the generosity of the Lord in your life, it sparks a desire of generosity to others. Therefore, a question every person has to ask is this. Have you tasted the Lord's goodness? In other words, have you truly placed your faith in Jesus and experienced the living hope that he brings? Because that is truly where it all begins. Now, as you think about this maturity that God wants for you, you also need to know, though, that you reach your full potential as you plug into the body of Christ, the church. Look at the next few verses in 1 Peter 2. Peter continues. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, in these verses, we again see the idea of growth. As you come to Jesus, a living stone, you are being built. I should also note that it says that you, like a living stone, are being built. Peter uses the term he used for Jesus to apply to believers because when one is a believer, Jesus lives in you, so you should be like him. But right now, what I really want us to see is the plural nature of what Peter says here. In fact, if we went back to the first few verses, we could have noted that Peter said, like newborn infants, that's plural. And then in the verses I just read, he said, you yourselves, that's plural. Like living stones, that's plural. What we sometimes forget is the corporate nature of our faith. God never intended for us to go it in this world alone. You know, right now, as we are having to, to, to do, we're doing the social distancing, and so we're not gathered together as a body of believers in this place this morning. We are spread out in our individual homes. Now, there is a part of this that's good in a sense that we are reminded that the church is not confined to a building. You know, too often, I believe that people get this idea that church only happens in a building. That's not the case. However, there is a danger in what we are doing, for I've heard some say, well, this is the way that I would prefer to do things moving forward. I would love to just continue to watch church in my pajamas on my couch at home. So, some would say we should never come back together, that we don't need to gather in a church building. Well, let me make something very clear. What we are doing now is okay. We are meeting in our homes, but that should not ultimately be a substitute for the church gathering. The early church met in homes, but they also gathered in the temple together because they understood the importance of being together and the strength of joining together. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, we're even told this. He said, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, we need one another. We need the encouragement of each other. We need the accountability of others. And some of that is stuff we can do while we're apart, but there is something different about being together. And I hope you have a longing for the day when you are worshiping and it's not alone and not just with your biological family in your homes, but that you are longing to be with a greater church family. In fact, Peter made it clear that together we all are to, to build, we are built together into a spiritual house where we offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Please don't miss the corporate aspect of being a believer. Don't think you can go it alone and reach your full potential. In fact, as I was reflecting on what Peter is saying, I thought about how one of the many things that has become popular during our quarantine is puzzles. I mean, with much extra time on our hands, people have been looking for things to do, and puzzles have become one of those things. When you think about a puzzle, here's what we all know. One piece does not a puzzle make. 
A piece of a puzzle is not a puzzle. It is a piece of a puzzle. However, when you put that piece with all the other pieces together, you make something beautiful. Likewise, if you have a puzzle with a missing piece, you have an incomplete puzzle. Every piece needs all the other pieces and every puzzle needs every piece. You see, with that analogy in mind, every believer needs all other believers and the church needs every believer to be complete. And when every believer is connected, both the church and the individual believer, listen, reach their potential in Jesus Christ. See, God did not make us for isolation. Now, the reason that every believer should want to reach their full potential is because the church has an important role. And as a part of God's church, you play an important role. Look at what Peter goes on to write in verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. To understand the important role you play, you need to understand the description Peter gives here. Your role will tie into who you are. And again, you are, what is tied here is even not just you individually, but corporately to God's church, who you are as a part of God's church. And first it says this, you are a chosen race. There are some watching or listening this morning who struggle with being accepted. You think this morning that there's no way that someone could love you or care for you Or maybe that there's no way on on the other side of things that that you can love or care for others. Well, what I want everyone to understand this morning is that there is one who loves and cares for you. And there is one who can help you love and care for others. And that is God, and he has already chosen you. I have mentioned in the past how great it feels to be chosen. Whether that is chosen to be a part of a game or whether that's chosen to fill a vacancy or chosen to receive a random act of kindness, to be chosen is a special thing. Peter reminds these believers that they have been chosen by God and that they are a chosen race, that they are a chosen people. Now, to make sure you understand what Peter is saying here, let's remember who Peter is. We must look close at Peter because some may read this and ask the question, well, what race of people is Peter talking about? What race of people has been chosen? There may have been a time when even Peter would have struggled to answer that question correctly. There would have been a time when Peter would have said, this chosen race is the Jews. But if you know Peter and you know his story, you will understand that when he uses the term chosen race here, he is not limiting it to one race of people as we would define it. Peter was looking to all believers, no matter what their nationality, and reminding them that they are God's chosen people. And I know that for certain because if you tune into our Wednesday night Bible study, you will know that Peter, who wrote these words, is the same Peter who had an encounter with a man named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Peter was a Jew and Cornelius was a Gentile. If you haven't joined in through the reading plans or been watching on Wednesday night, I would encourage you today, go back and read Acts chapter 10 and see the encounter that these two men had. And you'll see that this is what God was doing, that God was working through both men's life to make a huge statement, that God does not play favorites in who he loves. Peter put it this way in verses 34 and 35 of that chapter when he said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. See, before this encounter, Peter would have likely said that the Jews were God's chosen people. And in a way, he was right. 
However, the failure of the Jews was to recognize that God ultimately wanted to use them to bless and to reach all nations. But God showed Peter, and he had it recorded for us, that God is a God for all people. And that all who place their faith in Jesus and what God is doing in the world are part of God's chosen race. The believers in the Old Testament, by faith, looked ahead to the cross and what God would do there with them or for them through Jesus Christ. Believers in the Old Testament and now today look back on the cross and what Jesus did by dying for our sins. But we all come to God the same way, by faith and by faith alone. And when a person places his or her faith in Jesus Christ, that person becomes a part of God's chosen people. I'll put it this way. God has chosen you by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sin. God has made a way for you to be forgiven and given the gift of eternal life. God has made a way for you who was once destined for eternity suffering the wrath of God because of the sin in your life to be made right with him so that instead of suffering wrath, you can worship and serve the living God who created you. If they're, if they're in your home today, you, you want to shout hallelujah or glory to God or whatever, go ahead because it's worth shouting what God has done for you because what God has done for you is an amazing thing. And here's what you need to know. God has chosen you and what he wants to know is have you chosen him. For those who choose to place their faith in Jesus, they get the right to be a part of God's chosen race. And I am thankful today that because of the way God works, that his people consist of many different colors, of many different tongues, and of many different styles, but they are chosen and loved equally. If you think today that no one does or could love you, know that the most important one has already proved his love for you. Jesus died for you to show you God's love. And, and he wants to know, will you return that love and play your part as one of God's chosen? I hope you will today. But now, Peter doesn't end the description, though, there. He goes on to help us understand our role by reminding believers, yes, I mean, you are a chosen people, but you are also a royal priesthood. If you have listened carefully as we have been going along, you'll realize that this is the fir- not the first time Peter used the idea of priesthood because back in verse 5, he mentioned how believers are a holy priesthood. One thing is very clear with what Peter says in this chapter. Believers are meant to serve God as priests. We can be called holy because believers are set apart. Believers are to be different than the world. And we are also royal because first, we serve a king. We are serving Jesus, who is the king of kings and is the Lord of lords. But we are also royal because as believers, we are called heirs of God. Therefore, it is not just that we serve the king. We are a part of the king's family. And as a part of the king's family in this royal family, we serve as royal priests. Now, the most important thing about this, though, is our role. I mean, what is the role of a priest? A priest does various things. A priest offers spiritual sacrifices to God. A priest represents God to the people, and a priest represents the people to God. Now, when we think about our spiritual sacrifices, we must clearly understand that the first and the most important we do is love and worship God. And what we must do as a priest is focus on God. If not, then from the beginning, anything that we do will be fall. What we should always begin with is loving and worshiping God. 
These spiritual sacrifices will include the praise of your lips. They will include the offerings of your life and service. They will include your financial offerings. They will include your prayers, among other things. And let's not forget that your spiritual offering to God will include those you help lead to faith in Jesus, which reminds me, as you personally love on God and worship him with your spiritual sacrifices, you then, as a priest, represent God to the people. As you worship God and are transformed by him, God desires for you to go into the world and let others know of his glory. There is a world that needs Jesus. As a priest of God, you're called to let the world know about this God that you serve. You are never meant to keep God to yourself. He wants you to show him to the world. And you do that by the kind of life you live. And you do that by the words that come out of your mouth, praising God and telling others about him. Then, as you proclaim God to the world, you then represent people to God. Now, what does that mean? It means this. It means that you pray for others. It means that you help them connect with God. You help them come to an understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done for them and how they, too, can become a part of God's chosen race, his royal priesthood. Now, before I leave this, let me just inform or remind you that truly God intends for every believer to be a priest for him. There are those that God gives a special calling to serve a special role. And what I'm saying at this moment does not exclude that. I mean, years ago, I was, it was clear to me that God had a special calling on my life, a special role that he wanted me to play. He wanted me to dedicate my life to proclaiming his truth. But we must never make the mistake of thinking that God's priesthood is limited to a special class of people that solely have access to God. I might be a pastor, and that's God's calling on my life. But everyone who is a believer is a priest who can pray directly to God, who can seek forgiveness directly from God, who can offer spiritual sacrificings directly to God. That needs to be clear. Understand, as a believer, you are a priest. And as we live this royal priesthood, Helping to connect people to God, we must also understand that we are a holy nation. Holy, carrying this idea of set apart and not set apart as we are today as in distancing. In fact, I hope we are gaining in this time of social distancing a greater understanding of the need to connect with people. Social distancing is not the set apart that God is talking about, but we are set apart in the way we live and love. In other words, when the world is out getting drunk to cope with their problems, we shouldn't be. When the world is out indulging in pornography, we shouldn't be. When the world is pursuing the indulgence of self, we shouldn't be. We are called to be different. We are called to live pure lives, unselfish lives, self-controlled lives, lives that flourish in a different way that makes the world look and say, how do you have such joy? How do you have such peace? How do you have such contentment? We should live as such a holy nation that others look and say, I want what they have. It's what God intended for the Jews when he chose them. It wasn't meant to be an exclusive call. It was God choosing a nation to proclaim his greatness so that others would be blessed as well and come to know him. And as we live out our holy lives, people should see in us something they desire. And as we do this, though, we should never forget that we are a people for his own possession. In other words, God desires to have a relationship with us. And even though we don't deserve to be in a relationship with God, he desires it. The book of Hosea paints a beautiful picture of God's love. 
Though Israel had been unfaithful to God, he still longed for them and he pursued them. And God so longed for that relationship that this is what he said in Hosea 2, 19 and 20. He said, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. I hope you heard the passion of God in that for his people. He was pursuing them. He was making a commitment to them. God desired that relationship, and he desires that relationship with us. We, being a people for God's own possession, in fact, should remind us of something that I read from J.D. Greer, where he stated this truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, the gospel is that you are simultaneously more wicked than you can ever imagine and more loved and accepted than you have ever dreamed. Man, what a great thing, truth that is. Yes, I am more wicked than I can ever imagine, but I am loved by God more than I could ever uh, dream. Truly, the point Peter is making to believers is that God loves us and that God cherishes us, and that God wants to work in our lives to help us be who we need to be for his glory. But ultimately, after Peter explains who believers are, he really gets to the heart of the matter when he very specifically tells us how we make a difference, how we play an important role. And so let me read verse 9 again, and let's focus on the result of who we are in Jesus. Look what he says. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The big part we play for God, the big part you can play for God is proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you know what it is to walk in darkness but then to come into the light. You know what it's like to be lost in sin, but then to be freed from that sin. You know what it's like to have a life without purpose, but then to gain a life of purpose. You know what it's like to live without hope, but then to discover a life of living hope. If you have had that experience, here is what you know. You, what, 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 what God, what you need to know, excuse me, that, that as part of God's chosen people, that we are collectively called to do this. We are collectively called to proclaim his excellency, excellencies. We are to make much of what God has done and what God is doing. You know, if, if there is even a positive in this pandemic for the church, here's what it is. People are searching for answers. People are looking for a reason to have hope And the church has those answers. God's people, his priests, have the answers. What we have to ask is, are we sharing those answers? Are we proclaiming his greatness? You may look at your life and you say, I cannot make a difference. But folks, if you share Christ with one individual and they come to know the truth of Jesus Christ, you have made a difference for all eternity. And God is calling his people to proclaim. In fact, that is the title I settled on today for this message because that is what God wants us to do. He wants us to mature in our salvation so that as we are connected to his church, collectively we are proclaiming his greatness to a lost and dying world. And together we can make a difference. Listen to these words, in fact, from Romans 10. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Church, we are called to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ so that others might come to know the truth of Jesus Christ and the salvation he brings. And now is a great time to be proclaiming the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, as I close, I know this. I know there are some who've been tuning into our live stream that have not been involved in church or maybe even have been searching for answers. I know you're listening because some of you have let me know and I've heard other share of people that they know that have told them that they've been watching when they didn't used to go to church and they're searching for answers. So I know you're out there. And what you know today, I want you to know today is that God loves you and that God has a plan for your life. God has made it very clear that he is not only aware that you have not always been perfect, but he's also made a way for your forgiveness. And that way is through faith in Jesus Christ. His word makes it very plain that there are not enough good things that you can do to make up for all your failures, but Jesus died to pay that price. And what God wants you to do is place your faith in what Jesus has done. And if you do, he will forgive you and he will give you the gift of eternal life. What God wants you to do is what we're told to do in Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And what we would love to do is talk with you about how you can believe and what it means to place your faith in Jesus. And so I'm asking some of you, simply email us, call us, text us, and we will open a discussion with you to help you fully understand who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Or maybe today, you, you know a friend or a coworker or a family member who has the hope that you have been looking for. Well, turn to them, reach out to them because they can help you as well. Come to know the truth of Jesus Christ. We saw on our baptism testimony how Cody was sharing with his friend and had the joy of, of seeing Austin and, and Haley baptized. That was a friend reaching out to a friend. You have friends that can tell you, tell you the truth of Jesus Christ. However that is today, we want you to reach out because we want you to know the love of Jesus Christ which leads me to those who are already a part of God's family. Let me simply ask you, are you proclaiming him? Are you ready to give the answers for the hope that you have in Jesus? I hope so. Don't look and say, well, preacher, that is your job because God, is, it, 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 God, God has called me to this role. I, I know, but again, don't forget, we are priests together. You are a part of the priesthood so you can lead someone to Jesus Christ just as easy as I can and some cases even easier than me. You have friends, you have coworkers, you have family that would listen to you well before they would listen to me. Are you proclaiming? Let's do this. Let's be God's church today and proclaim the excellencies of the one who has called us out of darkness into his life. Why? Because you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's proclaim that goodness to a lost and dying world. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we bow into your presence today thanking you for your goodness in our life. And yesterday, many of us who are gathering together in this room and then those on live stream that are joining us today, Father, we have tasted your goodness that you've shown us through Jesus Christ. And God, that has given us the hope that we have. That's given us the joy and the peace that we have, even in trying times. But Father, I know not everyone knows that peace. Not everyone knows that joy. And so Father, today, even as we sing this song of worship together, speak to hearts. I pray some, as we even sing together, God would not even sing a word of this song, but they would bow their head right there in their home today and they would cry out to you that today they would cry out confessing their sin. 
Father, confessing that they know that Jesus died for them, that they would confess that they know Jesus rose again, he's alive and well today, and that he is offering to them a living hope. And I pray some today right there in their living room would choose God who has already chosen them. I pray through their faith in Jesus, they would come to know what it means to be forgiven and to have that living hope so that they too then can go out and proclaim the goodness of our God. Father, I also pray right there in our living rooms today that we who are your people, we are who are that chosen nation, who are that, that priesthood, that royal priesthood today, that we would be right now making the commitment to proclaim your name to a lost and dying world because they need us. And right now, more than even in times past, they're listening because they need hope. May we proclaim your goodness today. And so speak to our hearts as we sing this song together that we be ready to proclaim you to this world. So we love you, we praise you, we thank you for Jesus. Speak to us continually, Father, I pray. And I pray it in Jesus' name.